So if you've got a Bible or you can get a hold of one, um, I'm going to read it's a relatively short passage um, from Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Jesus answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke, spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The thing that's just happened before this passage, if you just look, if you've got your Bible up, you can see it, is uh, the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. And last week, in the services we had here, we were looking at that healing. The healing that happens in two parts. Jesus spits on the man's eyes, lays his hands on him, says, do you see anything? He says, I look up, the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. His eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then the next bit is, who do people think I am? And it's like that moment where Jesus is asking, can you see clearly? Can you really see? Can you understand what's going on here? Can you, can you, can you get it? And then there's a moment where it's almost for Peter, things sort of part. It's like, ah, oh, I can, I can see it, I can see it. You might know how that feels in other contexts, where people are going, why don't you get this? Why, whatever it may be, why don't you get it? Why don't you get it? You might, some of you are reminded of being at school, where it, so the teacher was trying to teach you something, you just couldn't get it until eventually there was a moment where ah, oh, I get it, now I get it. And it's like, why did it take so long? The healing brought awareness and sight. And Jesus and his disciples go on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. It's kind of interesting when the, when the gospel writers put in the names of the places they go to, it's at least supposed to make you go, oh, why? Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi it really doesn't seem to matter to us at all, but it's kind of like in the north of the country. And it's the place that used to be called Panium because it was named after the god Pan. That sort of um, Greek mythological god. But then what happened was Herod the Great wanted to get in the good books of Caesar Augustus. So he said, I'm going to rename this city Caesarea Philippi. In other words, I'm going to name it after Caesar. We're going to sort of place that there. It became almost like a resort. It was a beautiful place. It had uh, white marble temples. It had um, springs of water. And people would go to there as a resort. And that whole area was two days' walk away from Galilee, where Jesus 
and his disciples did much ministry. So for two days, Jesus said to his disciples, come with me, we're going to go north. We're going to go to this sort of area. And along the way, Jesus begins the conversation. Who do people think I am? What people say about me? And uh, we just heard that it's still a question people are asking in the Bridgewater on Thursday lunchtime. That's the fascinating thing. People are still asking that question. Well, who was it? Well, it's not to do with resurrection. Well, if I don't think that's true. That can't be true. So, how do we make sense of him then? People try to understand who is this Jesus? And as they go along, the disciples begin and they say, well, some people say John Baptist. It's kind of like the, the one who would come and um, would declare that something brilliant is going to happen. But not, not the Messiah, but the one who would come. Some say prophet, like Elijah. Again, a kind of a, a, a herald of something that's going to happen. I guess the equivalent for us today would be people going, well, a good teacher. Good teacher, moral teacher. Says some really good stuff. Because the truth is, half of the things that Jesus said, nobody would want to argue with. It's the other half that's the problem. But, but the, do you know what I mean? Like, forgive, love one another, do good to your enemy. Nobody really wants to sort of argue with that until we, we have an enemy and then we want to bomb. But, but generally, we, we kind of go, yeah, that's really good stuff. But it's the other half that's problematic. Who do you think he is? And uh, Jesus turns the question and says, well, if that's what they're saying, what about you? Well, Mark's already given us some ideas. What have you already read so far? Well, you began the gospel in the desert with crowds coming to John the Baptist, longing for change. And John the Baptist saying, there's one coming who will bring that change. You've had deliverances and healings. You've had people whose lives have been ravaged uh, by Satan and by disease. And Jesus has come and broken the chains that have held them, the, those sort of cycles of behaviour, those situations. He's offered people forgiveness. He's been at ease with the law. So he's, he, he was in the, in the fields and, and people were accusing him of working on, on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, I'm at ease with this. You, you, you're not going to trip me up like this. He's gathered a new people. He's got 12 people around him, the 12 who look like a new nation, the 12 who look like a new people. He's told stories of kingdom growth. He's been involved in death-defying actions in storms and with people who are ripped apart and violent uh, because of evil. He's been there with women who've been really unclean because of their medical conditions. And he's been there in the midst of death with a young girl. And he has defied all of that death. He's sent out people on successful mission. He's fed 5,000 Jewish men who all came together. It looks like they came together ready to crown him as king. And then he fed 4,000 Gentiles. You've read all this. Mark told you all this. The disciples have been with Jesus at this point. Who do you say I am? And all the clues are there. It's kind of like all these pieces of the jigsaw are there. And it's kind of like that moment where you actually start to put those pieces together and you go, it could only be one person, couldn't it? It could only really be 
the Messiah. It is the centerpiece of the gospel. Depending on how you answer this question, depending on how the disciples answer this question, will change everything. Because once you answer this question, then you need to live consistently with it. We know how that works in our own lives. There are some phrases, there's some things you say, that once you say them, it changes everything. A few weeks ago, uh, Alex and Andrew stood in front of a whole bunch of people and said a little collection of two words. I will, I do. And it's changed everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it changes everything. And it changes everything we pray for the rest of your life. The answer you give to this question changes everything. So what does it look like when you have all of this going on? Who do you think this is? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, or you are the Christ. And uh, those two words, Messiah and Christ, Christ is the Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. It's exactly the same word. And what was going on was, uh, in both cases, um, it was about being anointed, it was about being the chosen one. Literally, kings would be anointed with oil, and they would be set apart, or uh, priests and prophets would be anointed with oil and set apart. You are the anointed one. You are the chosen one. You are the one we've all been waiting for. When we get to Christmas, um, we sing occasionally, well, you know, we, we, you know the carols. And most of the carols you sort of you sing and, and you, you know, if you've got half, a, half a, uh, an eye open, you realise that some of what you're singing is really just nonsense. Um, in the carols, to be honest with you. I'm telling you now in the middle of the summer because I can't tell you in December. Um, but uh, one of the carols, or Little Town of Bethlehem, has that line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you, thee, tonight. And that's probably one of the best lines out of all the carols that we sing. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in you. And uh, Posey is here. Posey is being just patted quite, quite robustly, I have to say. <laughs> um, but clearly it's working. You're, you're, I mean, you've got, you've got form in this. You know how to do this. Um, but look at this little... You, you might not be able to see Posey, but she's just a scrap of humanity. I know grandma and granddad are here, so I think it should be a bit more. Uh, but just a little, little scrap. The hopes and fears, uh, the hopes and fears of all the years, I've met in a baby like this. The Messiah, the one that's come. The one who comes and lives with us. The one who comes and walks in our shoes. The one who comes near to us. This is what they've all been waiting for. And suddenly, it's like there's a moment where the scales fall off Peter's eyes and it's, it's you, isn't it? It is you. You are. You're the one. You're the one who's going to declare the kingdom. You're the one that's going to open up everything. You're the one that's going to bring you life. You're the one. You're the one we have been waiting for. So what happens next? Well, not what you expect. Because what you might expect, Jesus is going, yes, you're absolutely right, at last. 
Now, let's go. Tell everybody. No, not at all. Quite the opposite. Mark says, Jesus warns them not to tell anyone about him. It's almost like Jesus needs a better manager. Because <laughs> this is not the way to do it, Jesus. Suddenly, these guys that have been with you, that have been really quite, at times, quite thick. You've had, do you remember the feeding of 5,000 in the boat? And they're arguing about the loaf of bread. Do you remember when we did that? Do you not understand? They're going, no, we don't get it. Suddenly, they get it. And at the moment when they get it, Peter is told, and the disciples are told, silent. Don't tell anybody. Now Mark clearly believes it's true. Jesus knows it's true. The gospel begins, the very first verse of the gospel begins, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. It's, it's, as readers, we, we, we're in on the secret. Halfway through the gospel, exactly halfway through the gospel, you are the Messiah. And at the end of the gospel, in chapter 14, um, what you've got going on, is uh, Jesus standing before the Sanhedrin in verse 62, the, the high priest coming and saying, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus saying, I am. So it's like, and then the 15th chapter, just before he gets crucified, all the way, Pilate is coming to the people and saying, uh, to Jesus, he's saying in verse 2, Are you the King of the Jews? Um, in verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He asks the crowd. Um, he uh, brings them, uh, Jesus to the, uh, the palace and they put a crown of thorns on him. They crucify him and above his head on the cross, what do they write? The king of the Jews. And what's the last thing that people start to mock him, the chief priests mock him? He saved others. He can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. From the beginning to the end and all the way through, Jesus is the Messiah. So why does he tell them not to say anything? Well, the only reason can be because of their expectations and his expectations. Because the moment they get it, he says, the Son of Man, the title he uses for himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected, must be killed, and after three days, must rise again from the dead. On what Peter heard. People in my house say that I'm losing my hearing. I don't think that's true. I'd just like to tell you that. Um, but I am aware that I am here, my hearing is beginning to, I am losing stuff. Um, so I was, I was listening to this radio program the other day, on my own in the car, which was, it just was not loud and they weren't talking clearly enough. Because it was one of these panel games, and they had to introduce themselves as, I thought it was Dots. And I'm listening to them do this, uh, I, haven't, uh, uh, I haven't got a clue or something, the problem's what I can't really think about the time. And um, I'm thinking, Dots, Dots? It was only about 20 minutes later, I was, it was Dogs. And suddenly <laughs> became clear. So I kind of heard, I was there, I was listening, but I just misheard. And uh, I'm, please tell me I'm not the only person in the room that I have to. <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's, it's, it's hurting me. It, I miss here. And because my brain is trying to make sense, I, I, try and, I try and make sense. And sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it wrong. Do you, Polly? Yeah. That is so encouraging. <laughs> um, 
We do, we do, and we try and we try and make sense of it and, and we get it wrong. I wonder what Peter misheard here. Because I think what Peter misheard was, and I will rise from the dead. I think what Peter heard was, I will be rejected. I will be killed. I think he misheard, I will rise from the dead. So Peter steps in and he says, he, well, really interestingly, he rebukes him. He rebukes him. Like Arthur, <laughs> say to Jesus, I can imagine, at this moment, Arthur, I can imagine you do this. I'm sorry, but I have to say this. Would <laughs> 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 be how this rebuke would begin. He, he, he steps in and says, and, and rebukes Jesus. And presumably, he said to Jesus, Jesus, no, that is not how this is going to work. You are the Messiah. I know how this plays out, and it's not like that. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The, the kind of husband of the man that would do that. But do you know that feeling yourself when you come to God? And you go, I know the problem. I know the solution. Will you just pull your finger out and do it? Do you ever pray like that? Yeah. You probably don't use those words because you're kind of rightfully fearful of God, but essentially that's how we open prayer, isn't it? I know the problem, I know the solution, and come on. And that's what Peter's doing. Peter is going, Jesus, we know the problem here in the nation. We know the solution. You are the solution, Jesus. Now come on. Act properly. Do it. Come on. And Jesus turns, looks at his disciples, and rebukes Peter. This was a barney. This is no gentle meeting the mild Jesus. This is Jesus turning around going, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Kind of interesting that what's going on at that point. When Mark begins his gospel in the first chapter, as soon as a voice from heaven comes at the baptism, say, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Here, the declaration of who you are, yes. But the moment that that happens is the temptation comes in, in the form of Peter this time to swerve Jesus from his own path. Mark didn't tell us the wider story of that temptation in the wilderness, but the other gospel writers do. If you could just turn these stones to bread and feed all these people, they turn to you. If you could just stand on the top of the temple, on the top of the pinnacle of the religious building, people would flock to God. If you just kneel down and worship, tempter. You will be king, ruler over all the nations. I wonder actually, and I think it's probably the case, that what Jesus is hearing is exactly the same temptation again. That's why he calls him Satan. He's not just cross with Peter. He sees in Peter's response something that says, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. So it's not like a, an angry outburst against Peter because Peter's so bad. It's actually because in Peter's words, 
actually Satan is offering a different way. That's why he says to get behind me, Satan. Peter missed it. And what's going to happen in the rest of the gospel from here on in is Jesus is going to explain to his disciples and to us what sort of king is he? Everything that happens in the, in the gospel next is I'm going to show you what it means to be the king. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. You just have human concerns. Well, that was the incident. And you're left wondering, the big question is, so what? <laughs> so what? In Antioch, a few years later, um, in the 13th chapter of Acts, the early followers of Jesus were given a nickname because they were always banging on about the Christ. And the nickname was Little Christs, members of the party of Christ. Christ's people, Christians. Your people of the Messiah. The language of Christian has been, we, we devalued it, it's kind of like it's a badly uh, devalued word. So we kind of, you know, lots of people go, well, I'm Christian, but that can mean all sorts of things. But actually what it really means is, I, I, I'm, I'm people of the Messiah, I'm going to do it his way, I'm following that king, and I'm going to do it in his way. Being a Christian is more than being a fan. I was thinking about the analogy of football where you've got... 60,000 fans on the terrace, all cheering on and wanting victory. You've got 11 players being coached in a certain way. And whenever a new manager comes to a new club, he often will come with a new way of playing. You saw it in Man City last season um, when uh, Pep Guardiola, who's one of the, the key managers of the, in the whole world, recognised as really, really good. But he gets to uh, the Etihad and you've got all these fans, 60, 70,000 fans watching a team having to learn to play a different way and consequently they don't play as well as they should play because they're learning to play a different way. Am I right? No, it's about 40,000 actually. <laughs> 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 Sorry, where, where, where's 60,000? I can't remember. But, oh, Trafford, that's a bunch. But apart from the detail, uh, correct me on that. <laughs> but it's, it's right, isn't it? It's, it's, that's, the, that's what happens. Yes. You get a new manager and you go, this is the way I want to play. And the players initially are going, oh, we don't know how to play like this. And um, the, the, the 40,000 Manchester City fans, if I stand corrected, very important. Um, are all yelling because they just want to win. But the manager goes, no, actually, it's the way we're going to play it. Now, as fans of Jesus, we can just cheer on going, come on, God, let's win. And Jesus comes and goes, no, 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 we're going to play this way. You're going to learn my way. And my way is not of brute force. My way is not of power. My way is not to get to the goal the quickest. My way is to walk with you. My way is to include people alongside you. 
My way is to forgive. My way is to turn the cheek. My way is this way. This is the way we're going to play. That's what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not sitting out on the stand going, yeah, I'm all in favour of this, I think, I hope we win. Being a Christian is actually being on the team. And so being followers of the Messiah, who does bring freedom, who does look out for those on the margins, who does want to see whole new things birthed, you've got to do it in the Messiah's way. And so you think about how you use your power at work. You think about how you don't give up on people who disappoint you. You think about how you see the people who are broken on the margins. And how do you deal with them? You see how you deal with your own desire just to get things done. You look at how you hold forgiveness in your heart. Or indeed how you withhold it. Because you're on a team. And it's the messianic team. It's the Messiah's ways. You see, truth be known, I think I'd be standing with Peter. And Jesus would have to say to me too, I'm not going to do it the way you expect. We're going to do it my way. I will suffer. I will be rejected. I will rise from the dead. I will do it. I will bring the kingdom. I will, things will change. You will see your heart's desire. It will be so very different than you might expect. So when you read something like that, on a day like this, How do we tie it with some of the things that have already been said in the service? There was a mention of the, the stuff that grows in our hearts, that are the weeds and the stuff that gets in the way. <coughs> I wonder what's this morning in your heart that's got in the way of following the way of Jesus. And it could be just because you get really frustrated in your relationships with other people. Or because you get frustrated because you think, I can see how this should work out. And, I'm, and it's just not going the way I want it to. And I get really frustrated. Or you've misused things that you've been given. And that grows weeds where there should be fruit. It grows weeds where there should be fruit. The story Arthur tells, which was a, a very vivid story. But when you hear people who are misunderstanding the way of Jesus, it's where would we find the courage to step in and go, excuse me, do you mind if I help? Because the way of the Messiah comes in and goes, actually, it's not about imposing, it's not about being cross, it's not being that angry, or even grumpy. It's actually about just having the courage to step in. And go, I'm one of those people, I have something to say that might help here. 
trusting the science people. And um, what I want to do is just pray for us. This is how I want to pray. I don't know if I've been able to explain myself adequately enough, but there are moments where you just go, I'm going to align myself again with the Messiah, with the Christ, with Jesus. I just want to do it in Jesus' ways. And um, if that makes sense to you this morning, then I just want you to stand and I want to pray with you. I guess it's something that we all want to pray, but there's some days where actually you go, do you know what, because of what's going on this week, or because of what I'm facing, or because of the middle of the situation I'm in, it just means more today than it would normally. It's kind of a truth I know, but today it really has teeth. And if that's true for you, do you understand? sign, symbol of receiving the cleansing life of God and the empowering life of God. We stand together because we want to be on the team. <laughs> we want to learn the way of Jesus in the midst of the situation we're in. We want to walk and align ourselves with the Messiah. And Lord, when we've messed up, when we have just gone the wrong way, we want to pray for forgiveness. When our actions and our reactions have been exactly the opposite of what we know you would have us do, Lord, would you come and forgive us, we pray. Lord, would you give us the courage to stand with you? Would you give us the wisdom to know what to say? Would you give us the grace to respond really well? Holy Spirit, come and just rest on these people. And where the weeds have grown, Lord, may fruitfulness come. Where the stuff that's actually just rubbing and stripping away, Lord, may something new be birthed. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Jesus. Together we are people on the team. May we all learn the way of Jesus. May you learn it in your families and in your homes. May you learn it in your workplaces. May you learn it when you're on your own and in your own frustration and fear. May you learn the way of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Please take seats.